Welcome to the Moving Forward Podcast. This is your host, Corey Cottrell, uh, and of course, my, uh, my co-host and buddy, Rio Veronier. Hey, guys. And uh, we've got a very special guest today. Uh, we've got Anami from uh, Women's Free Yang, uh, who has actually also started a podcast uh, uh, that we're going uh, to be chatting about. Anami, hello. Hello. Thanks uh, for having me on. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're, we're, we're excited to have you here. Uh, so, um, I, we'll talk about it again later, but uh, you know, if people want to, uh, to find your podcast, uh, uh, where would they go look? Uh, Podbean and Spotify. If they type in Yin for Yang, um, they can find it there. We're on social media and they can find the links on social media. So Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, off on Facebook, type in Yin for Yang, you'll find us there. So yeah, y- Yin for Yang is a freaking fantastic uh, podcast name. I, I must tell I'm you. Glad it, you like it. That is <laughs> really good. Um, so I guess we we might as well start off with uh, you know we we ask every single guest that comes on board you know how did you uh, become part of the Yang Gang you know what what was that uh, what was that evolution like? February two thousand eighteen, um, New York Times did that article and that was where they had. It's where that quote comes from, longer than long shot. So I'd read that, became really excited because I'd seen all the policies on the website and it was, I think, 30 or 40 at that time. Um, So not as much as we have today, obviously. And then I I was just super excited because there was this underlying mental health theme, which is really important to me and with some of the work that I do. So then I digged more into Yang and read, you know, got his first book, not the the war on normal people hadn't come out then and i'd emailed the campaign immediately and started volunteering with them since then february 2018 and seeing it evolve and it's funny because back then for like the first i think 10 months i'd be youtubing like trying to see what his appearances were for the week and there was nothing like (laughs) there would be weeks and i'm like yeah there has to be some more youtube stuff and now it's just like unbearable there's just too much to keep up with which is obviously yeah good problem exactly so what's the concept for your show yin for yang so um women's focused issues spotlighting women in the yang gang and just engaging and informing you know women within the yang gang and generally about yang's platform and what it does mean for women and you know diversity inclusion different minority groups we feel like You know, there has been some criticism with the campaign optically not having, you know, enough female representation. Um, Personally, I've seen improvements during the whole time that I've been volunteering, but it was just, we just felt like we need to have a podcast or some kind of platform. And finally, we managed to launch something. So that's the premise for why we have the podcast. And also Yin. So traditionally, everyone thinks of Yin as this as feminine or female and that understanding of the word in yang is masculine but when you delve deeper into eastern philosophy yin's very much in that symbol that you have the tojitu symbol which is the yin yang with the black and the white and the dots the darker side is yin and yin refers to kind of like introspection darker more negative energy stillness whereas yang is very much light heat action you know, a bit more aggressive, a bit more kind of like doing things, that type of energy. So we wanted to also encapsulate that meaning. How do we transmute women and our energy into voting and, you know, bringing our stillness and that kind of energy with the yin meaning and combining that with yang. 
And also there was another meaning, another layer to the meaning, which was um, that, you know, women are often seen as the underbelly of society, not just here around the world. There's so many issues that women go through. And how can we transmute that understanding where women are like seen as something below or something less than into something which is in the spotlight? Um, which is where it blends in with Yang as well. So, so I guess the obvious, oh, sorry. Yeah, I guess the obvious follow-up question is, um, I don't know, however many you want to talk about, let's say we'll shoot for three. What would you say are the biggest reasons that you see Yang's candidacy and Yang's platform as beneficial to women? In the, okay, I'll start with a broader perspective and narrow it down. The United Nations a few years ago set out the Sustainable Development Goals. There is a huge, huge emphasis on women. There's a couple that are specifically for women, but pretty much everything, every goal, whether it's climate change, health, poverty, um, economic situations, all kind of has this, you know, uh, this emphasis on including women in them so then you narrow it down to the u.s and then what is the u.s doing and we are far behind in many things um, when it comes to women for a developed country and then you bring it back further down to our local level and this presidential campaign and yang's policies across the board are very very in line with the sdgs the sustainable development goals and would uplift women minority communities across the board so that's kind of how I see it. Sorry if that doesn't answer your question. <laughs> no, no, it did. I, 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 it answered it broadly. I was wondering maybe um, like specifics. Um, can you think of, you know, two or three specific policies of Yang's that, and, and how you think that they benefit women specifically? Well, we, let's go to the flagship one, UBI and then the automation issue. So we know it would help um, everyone from stay-at-home moms to people who want to, you know, female entrepreneurs and women who are going through all sorts of different things, domestic issues and whatnot. But then when you kind of break it down and look into the different marginalized communities or minority communities in the country, you have Hispanics and they are going to be affected by automation hugely, much more than Caucasian counterparts, same with African-Americans, and then on a lower statistic, also Asians, uh, due to their, just the type of industries that they work in. So retail, um, even agriculture, and like some other, there's a whole list of data that you can find online. Um, so when you look at that, and then you look at the way women are in those industries too, which are gonna be automated away, it's, that that policy really trickles down and would benefit women in so many ways so that's the first thing and then just yang's whole family cohesion social cohesion um to, uh, section on his website there's a lot of emphasis on you know counseling on um building up families strengthening families and then you also have mental health. His mental health policies, I feel like, would really, really help women um, in many ways. Um, obviously, it would help everyone. But when you see kind of statistics with women and mental health and suicide, um, young guys also do have some statistics when you look at men and with social, uh, women and social media. And that whole ram, that's, yeah, that would be really empowering. There's 
I mean, there's so many different policies. Um, and one which people don't really make the connection with is his foreign policy. So with foreign policy and his emphasis on diplomacy, so not only is diplomacy the first line of security, but imagine how much how much money is being spent on wars abroad and how much of that budget is taking away from helping women in this country on you know welfare programs assistance with you know that specifically aimed to help women so that's something which i think many of us overlook and don't realize the implications of so having this kind of like more diplomacy approach not getting into wars unnecessarily it would also mean that there would be more finances available to allocate to improving the situation of women in this country domestically. And, and globally too. I think that the, if you took even half and probably wouldn't even need to be half uh, of the money that we spend uh, uh, bombing people that probably don't even know who we are and have no geopolitical relevance, relevance to us whatsoever. And just uh, threw that into aid for explicitly for educating young girls They've tracked track this globally. Every single metric in a country, uh, engagement in the world, uh, uh, healthcare outcomes, uh, every kind of policy outcomes, uh, adoption of democracy, the absolute prime mover of that is whether or not you're educating young girls. Uh, so that, that's something that just it crops, crops up you know, every time that we start talking about uh, you know, uh, national security or whatever. Like really, like that, that kind of diplomacy, that kind of uh, uh, intelligently applied aid um, not only makes the world a better place, but also makes it that much more peaceful and makes us safer uh, at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Diplomacy is so, I wish, I mean, in the last debate, they touched upon diplomacy and I loved Yang's answer where he included diplomacy as part of his strategy, but mm -hmm. it's severely under, like, underappreciated, um, especially in this day and age, I think. And under this administration, there's, I mean, there's been plenty of, you know, articles online on how State Department and this administration are really butting heads and how funding has been cut there. And it's just, I, I know people who are diplomats and work with State Department and the work that they do, even just having a handful of people representing the US in another country and having a program which only involves 30 people does so much to keep alliances alive and thriving and i'm you know it's good to know that you know diplomacy is like it's still alive there is a lot of american diplomacy happening around the world but it needs to be beefed up and strengthened and it comes in many forms it comes in trade diplomacy you have economic um we can with yang's policies he could even go forth with environmental diplomacy tech diplomacy digital diplomats are you know a thing there are you know some countries in europe that have appointed digital diplomats for the sole reason of you know doing business online so to speak imagine trump but in a really you know flipping his intentions and his uh, way of working online so having all these tweets and like communicating with other institutions or countries on twitter but in a very positive way yeah intelligently as opposed to say how intelligently as an ambassador yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly and then you have global health diplomacy again which goes back to the sustainable development goals it would tie in so many of yang's policies especially you know mental health and different you know medical uh, approaches so there is so much in the world of diplomacy that can really improve um, not just lives here um, through like the budgeting uh, issues, but also if you think about the wars that happen, for example, in the Middle East, how is that affecting women, children? Of course, it affects men too, but specifically when you look at women, children, and then those who identify in the LGBTQ community. 
they get they suffer a lot during these really difficult times during the war and their mental health is like exponentially affected and then when you have um, people in these regions who then want to migrate and then they end up coming to western countries because of the war because of climate change and those issues overlap with mental health too we're then having to deal with refugees mental health or immigrants mental health domestically here so it all comes full circle really and it's just something i think i'm just so thrilled that yang is alluding to these things absolutely yeah i mean when it comes when it comes to foreign policy and interventionism and so forth i i completely agree with you that it's better to focus on diplomacy first and um you know use of strength should be a last resort not not a first resort and and by the way anybody who supports Trump because they think he's anti-war should ask themselves why an anti-war person would be gutting the State Department when diplomacy is the best way to avoid conflicts in the first place, right? That doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, and, and, and when we do intervene, whether through diplomacy or through, or through um, strength uh, with the military, our goal, it needs to be to try to spread democracy and freedom and to make countries so that women and LGBT people have more rights and so that people can vote in elections and so forth. Not, um, you know, if, we're, if, if that isn't our goal, then we shouldn't be going in there. Yeah. Well, even just having stated goals anytime you're going to go in anywhere, which um, has been iffy at best and and it, and it shouldn't just yep. be our stated goal it should be the actual goal and the outcome <laughs> <laughs> right yeah exactly what we're yeah exactly yeah um so anami um you mentioned volunteer um have have you been volunteering for the campaign or what did you mean by that uh, yeah so when i first discovered the campaign in feb 2018 that's pretty much when i started volunteering um and then i think it was the first wave of Yang Gangs, I think, were official, I would say, almost a year ago. It was December, January, beginning of this year. And then um, I'm based in Austin, so then Austin Yang Gang and have been trying to help with women's stuff, diversity, and just some other, you know, a few other things too. But yeah, volunteer, loving it, enjoying it. <laughs> um, it's just really cool to see how things have really evolved since February 2018 to now. And pretty much even we had a rally here around this, um, on the same day that South by Southwest was taking place in Austin. Yang was here, he was speaking at South by Southwest. So that was just after Joe Rogan exploded, maybe 10 days after. And even then it felt like, oh my gosh, it's really just exploding and building so much, but it was nothing compared to now. So I, you know, I kind of remember Yang's Twitter page having like, what, a few thousand followers and now it's hit a million. <laughs> so when people say, oh, electability or can he really go far or, you know, he should just drop out now. And I'm thinking, no, you haven't really kind of, tr you know, tracked it since, since the early days. So you can't really say that there is the question of electability doesn't even like kind of come in there. It, he's very electable. Yeah, no, we, we talk about this all the time. Sorry, Rio. Uh, uh, the, the, and, and especially considering how enlightening it's been to have a conversation with uh, a conservative like Rio and how like, we spend the vast majority of our time around Yang um, in, in perfect agreement or agreement on how he developed the consensus position that he did, uh, which, is, which is super fascinating. So we think like in a general election, he would, he would 
beat the freaking paint off uh, Donald Trump and it would be, you know, we'd have it running away. And, you know, we talk a little bit about, you know, electability in the Democratic primary because it's, you know, a little bit more insular and some of the arguments against UBI have been just insanely goofy. Uh, as the guy who's supposed to be, you know, coming from from the left, the arguments that I've seen are just are are really messed up. Um, but the exponential growth that you're talking about, I think, is is important for people to understand. Um, Yang talks about you know wanting to peak in in Iowa as an example at the right time, and and you know we've been hovering you know fourth, four or five, six percent nationally, or, or what have you, um, and less in Iowa where there's some more established candidates that have been hanging out for longer or whatever. But it's still very, very possible. Uh, and we were talking about it in a little in between us so that we uh, recorded before this, that with Bloomberg getting into the race and the fact that there's already a, a lot of other front runners that are taking you know, between 10 and 20 percent of, of the vote, the opportunity that Yang is going to have in, in the first three states with things being so spread out probably has never been repeated in American politics. Right, so we really are in an amazing position where we could just slide right through the middle uh, and get to the point where the media could no longer ignore them. You mean you mean it could it could become a what's that, Corey? Do you mean it could become a situation? Yeah, do you mean it could become a situation where like somebody who only gets ten percent of the vote still gets first place because yes. it's just so divided or fifteen, right? Like between you know between fifteen and twenty could yeah. very well be what wins Iowa. Which is and Buttigieg nuts. got like a twelve. Buttigieg got like a twelve point vote uh, bump like overnight. Yep. Um. And if Yang could pull that off closer to the time of the caucus, um, then that would be remarkable. It would. And be when you're coup. talking about twenty, you're talking about twenty percent. You're talking about what? Maybe six hundred people that he needs to convince to vote for him because of the in Iowa. Yeah. No, it's more than that. But uh, are you sure? Because isn't, yeah. isn't it isn't it a caucus state? Yeah, but anybody yeah. can sign up to to go in caucus, and and you know I think. Oh, so you think there's going to be a high turnout? I think it's going to be like 3, I think there will people. Oh no, 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 there's going to be a massive turnout. Because <laughs> okay. this is the thing. This is what happened with with Bernie Sanders in in uh, in in Iowa in 2015. Is that Bernie Sanders supporters weren't leaving for nothing, and they were very compelling and very convincing. And the way that they do it, you know, people are just like standing around a room in groups or whatever. They're trying to literally attract people over to their side in this big goofy freaking gym thing, right? Um, and so the, it, it's it's purpose built for a bunch of psychos like the Yenge, <laughs> quite frankly, right? Because we feel this pretty strong. Like this is this is a, a real thing, and we do have the luxury of the fact that his policy proposals are head and shoulders massively ahead of anybody else running in the race. Um, and, and so, you know, a, a 5% in Iowa can turn into a 10% uh, showing. A 10% could turn into a 20% showing. Uh, and then, you know, the whole race is flipped on its ear, which is exactly what, uh, where it belongs. Hey, hey, Corey, and I think you hit on it when you said that, you know, the conservative and progressive coming together is kind of key. I, I have to say, anybody who's talking about electability, um, needs to welcome conservatives because electability in the general election, that's what it's about. It's about getting independents and conservatives. It's not about preaching to, you know, the base of your own party, right? <laughs> Trump has the base of his party locked up. Um, and the base of the Democratic Party doesn't like Trump, right? At all. So, how do you convince the people in the middle who are on the fence and clear, it seems it's so obvious to me that Yang is by far the best op opportunity for doing that. It's definitely not 
you know, Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders or anybody who is to the left of Yang, in my opinion. And Biden might be able to get conservative votes, but he's terrible candidate. He's just, he can't, he's not articulate like Yang is. Actually, I think there are only two candidates who have the charm of, of Obama, where they're articulate and likable and real and they have like vitality. And that's uh, Buttigieg and Yang. They're the only two people who have the, the Obama kind of personality. The it factor. And then Yang also has the best policies as well. Yeah, um, I think what do you think about what do we think about him being Asian though? Do you think that would be a problem for him in swing states, or do you think it wouldn't be an issue? Him being Asian, mm-hmm. um, so the Asian community. So my ethnic origins are South Asian, um, and I think people there's so much diversity within the Asian community, and within the Asian community, you have um, groups who swing actually very uh, conservative as well as very Democrat. So. I do find that sometimes people think, oh, minority, they must be left-leaning due to certain conversations and narratives that are happening around. But really, there is actually a whole spectrum within that. As far as Yang ringing a bell with um, minorities and the Asians, I saw some... I saw some polling with some students the other day, and he was tied with Bernie Sanders, joint top with the Asian American community. Hmm. I think it was in universities around the US. So that was, that's really promising. And I think generally the sentiment is that Asian Americans are very kind of proud to have Yang representing. It is a really big momentous occasion. Um, There has been some criticism, but for different reasons. And I, I really I think he's striking a chord with Asian Americans. And when it comes to voting, I think I don't see why we can't muster on that support. I, I, I wonder, and I think this might have been uh, Rio's point, uh, the, the worry that, that, uh, that we might have, and I'm not sure how much we should have it. Um, I don't know if, if you've experienced this. There's a lot of racist honkies in this country. <laughs> um, in swing states. Maybe none of them go to Austin, I hope, because I've heard that Austin is a, a, a fantastic uh, a gem in a sea of Texan nonsense. But that, that's a real thing, right? But I, I don't know that it would translate to an Asian American the way that it might uh, to an African American or to a Muslim, right? Like, have, have you know, the, the, the races that exist, have they been coded as strongly uh, to, you know, to not favor that as much as they, you know, have been encoded because of the Southern strategy to dislike brown people? I don't know. I mean, Austin is definitely, it is kind of like a unique gem in in the whole state and other regions in the state look down on Austin. It was funny, I did my first legislative session here at the Capitol in Austin earlier this year and it was like this amazing crash course in learning how everything works here. And um, it was... It was really enlightening because I think Texas definitely gets a bad rap for, you know, several reasons, but it has evolved so much. And Texas is definitely, it's definitely a microcosm of this country. Um, When I realized that, you know, you have these early states and every, every election, they are the early states, for example, Iowa and whatnot. I kind of was thinking to myself and actually saying to colleagues, why is Texas not 
an early state or why are the kind of why aren't they rotated but um to, to be more representative around the country and like with the way voting and polling works but anyway that's a whole other conversation but, but a good one because i think you're right it, it should be rotated something like that right you know yeah. but um it, with the southern strategy with here i don't think i don't i don't know i think to i think it would be slightly naive to assume that here all voting for someone who's brown or asian or something a bit different is is kind of out out the loop because i don't think it, it is we have obviously a huge hispanic population here the asian yeah. community is strong there are very strong pockets across texas where the Asian communities do have influence. They have been doing a lot of community work. Um, they do get, you, like, and when I talk about Asians, I don't mean just, you know, East Asian, South Asian, so Indians, Pakistanis, um, even Central Asians, but it's more East Asians and South Asians that are more predominant. And they really get the platform because tech, many of them do work in tech. It's I'm drawing on a stereotype here, you know, Indians, math, all that stuff. It's the same with uh, East Asians too, but they do really get it. And the kind of um, having in the same way that the policies appeal to conservatives as well as lefties within the Asian community, a lot of Yang's policies do ring a bell with, you know, I suppose Indians or East Asians who are conservative too. Um, when you look at, the way he talks about entrepreneurship i mean how many in our community are entrepreneurs or self-started entrepreneurs right. not only not only in this country when they immigrated here but also back at home like in asia so there are so many things which kind of uh, yeah they pull together so i think to feel like the south would be totally dismissive i think is naive to be honest yeah i and, and i agree i mean texas is, is definitely uh on the cusp of becoming a swing state which is which is really really amazing it is already seen as purple and there's yeah. there's so much talk about you know republicans are really kind of quaking in their boots a little bit um we could see it in this legislative session with the way that they were really going after certain policies um i don't know if it's because of fear and they're thinking maybe this is our last chance we have to go all in um but at the same time beto did do a lot of groundwork and yep. i think i moved here around the time that his election was going on and you can literally see the amount of legwork he's done to make this place purple yeah it's really commendable um wasn't my first choice or second choice for presidential you know pick but locally here he did so much so that's yeah. a very fresh bed to build upon i wish he'd stayed and and, and did another senate run just because he did Same. have so much momentum I know, but and his presidential uh, run turned out to have been a waste of time. Yeah, not not um, good. Yeah, I was thinking more about like the conventional wisdom is that we need to win back the so-called blue wall um, in the Midwest that Trump broke through, and that's a lot of white working class voters who might still harbor, especially some of the older ones, might still harbor some racism toward Asians. Um, but a lot of them voted for Obama, right? Um, and then I hadn't even thought about. Texas. I had considered, you know, maybe Yang could win Florida. Um, I, I think he, if, if, if any of the candidates could turn Texas blue in the general election, I think it would be Yang, actually, for all the reasons you just said. Uh, Texas is a very, like, independent-minded. It's about, like, you know, um, small governments, you know, um, get your, the government's boot off my neck. Um, I want to, like, 
be an entrepreneur and find my own way and support my own family and take care of my own. And I think Yang's message could really resonate with, with them. Um, and as you said, it's much, it's, it's becoming more racially diverse as well. So I, I could see Yang winning Texas. That's not crazy. I don't think any of the others could. I think he might. Well, I, I, I definitely Who do you think, think could, Corey, other than Yang? Um, Biden or Castro. All right. We'll give you that. Castro? Yeah. Why do you think Biden could? I mean, I, I mean, I, assuming that Castro could win the primary, which is like not happening at all. So right, right, right. throwing that out there, but yeah, I mean, they, they've they've got some uh, uh, um, some some roots there. So I mean, I would I would suggest that was at least possible. Biden's a possibility. I don't. I mean, I think. I mean, I was like, for all we know, Bernie could. It, like, it, it it depends on on. I know. I don't know if you've uh, listened to us enough to know that uh, that that Rio h- hates Bernie Sanders to, <laughs> yeah. to the core of his soul. There it's, is uh, a strong foothold here, but it's, if it's if, I'm, if I'm being totally honest, when the Yang Gang is like out and about doing stuff on the ground, so gr- on the grassroots level, maybe not on the delegate level, but on the grassroots level, every time um, we've been somewhere to a large event or anything, you know, politically inclined or even just like generally, we are always the strongest group there. Wow. There might be a couple of burners, and then there's no one else. That's huge. Because that, so it's going to come down to ground game. Like that, Beto kind of proved that, right? Like the people that are willing to be on the ground and start creating the infrastructure uh, you know, ar- around actually doing outreach. Because there's been enough voters for Democrats to win in Texas for a long time. They're just not freaking registered to vote. Right, so I, I'm I'm that so too. excited that you just said that. I did not know that. That is amazing. That's not just Austin. That's like Dallas, Houston. Wow. Um. Yeah. That is that's exciting. Great. Okay. It is really exciting. So I don't know if it's just we're super keen and you know <laughs> excited yeah. on the ground, but that does translate over. So if that's a sign for anything, it has definitely been you know a talking point for us. But Rio, just to go back to your point about the racism, I think with Yang. Um, I think with his policies and even through his book and through some, a lot of the, what he says, he's able to validate people's issues and concerns, whether you are a white Trump supporter or you're a stay at home mom or whether you are, you know, from a different community, like he has this ability. So I'm wondering if that would, you know, that would be something which people consider more than their racist beliefs and opinions and if that would resonate more on a deeper level with them and kind of encourage them to vote or come out or at least research and go on the website no i think i i think you're absolutely right and and it it, uh it's really shone a light for me on some of the policies that that other democrats have that i wouldn't really have like i would just think oh well it's it's really really good if you increase social security by 200 bucks a month or it's really, really good if you help the working poor with that extra 500 bucks a month for the Harris plan or whatever. Um, I wasn't spending a whole lot of time thinking about, okay, well, what about everybody else? Um, just in my relative, you know, day to day. Now it's all I think about, right? Like you want to, you want to fix, uh, like everybody's all worried about destroying the, uh, the, the welfare state. We know that like welfare helps about 30% of the people that it's supposed to be helping. That's 70% of people that are totally screwed. Exactly. The, the freedom dividend would, would change their lives, right? Exactly. We need to think of, we need to think of welfare like prison. Like, pri- like if, we, if, for, if we have a successful country, there should be the prison should be empty, right? Like our goal should be have as, to have as few people in prison as possible, right? But not to put as many people in there as possible. If we have a healthy society where people aren't going around committing crimes, that's a good thing. Similarly, we should want the number of people on welfare to be zero. That should be our goal. 
Well, and the means tested for, and I want to, I want to get really, really specific on this. Right. And we've talked about this before, but it, I think it bears repeating. Welfare is an idea to lift people out of poverty worked. Right. But when it comes down to uh, uh, means testing it, and this is the point that, that Rio is getting at, not that he gets a tad hyperbolic, just kidding. It's totally hyperbolic. Right? <laughs> but, you know, the idea that you are disincentivized to work, you know, ipso facto, you're, you're not necessarily going to be incentivized to, to or it's going to be harder for you to get out of that. They call it the welfare trap. And it's a thing, right? Where, and, and, <laughs> but even never, never minding all of that, the number, number of people that are completely and totally ignored by welfare uh, or like, you know, the social security yes. thing or, uh, or Harris's uh, act that would only help the working poor, never mind the homeless and anybody else, right? Like that to, to go directly beyond all of those things that are this particular community, if you're making such and such an amount for welfare, if, or if you're working poor, or if you're African-American, or if you're this little tiny silo, or if you're just old people or whatever, Yang's like, nah, let's give everybody a thousand dollars a month. And that, that really does have a transcendent capacity to say, we're actually just going to support literally everybody. Everybody gets the same floor and it does more than anyone has ever even suggested uh, to, uh, to change the, the, the equality situation in America. Um, I would just uh, push back slightly when you said that welfare is success, has succeeded at helping people out of poverty. I don't agree with that. I think what it has succeeded at is it has made po poverty livable. I think that, yeah. that the people, who, people are are dying of starvation. Oh, right, well, okay. who are on welfare are still in poverty. And in fact, they're in a way less likely to get out of it precisely because of the welfare trap. You see my point? And yeah. so I think, the reason, I think we all agree. The reason that the UBI is so great is because unlike the existing welfare state, it actually can help people get out of poverty, not yes. just help them survive on poverty. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's a good distinction. And I did, in fact, I just meant to say like before welfare, things were much, 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 much oh, worse. Yeah, no, I mean, that's undeniable. But it was a, it was a starvation thing, not an anti-poverty thing. So that's so, a good distinction. Uh, Amani, let's talk about Iowa because Iowa is a super white state. So it seems to me that his Yang strategy for winning Iowa should be to target four key groups. And one of them you represent with your show. <laughs> At least one. I guess, I guess you represent all four. But I think that the, the four key groups are um, poor people, right, in Iowa. Obviously, UBI should be appealing to them, whether they're working poor or not. And then there's the middle class, which he could sell UBI to as tax relief. And that's something that the campaign has not pushed enough, in my opinion. And then there are um, people on Social Security where he can say, look, you know, if you're part of the 50% of Social Security age people for whom Social Security is most of your retirement income, I'm going to double your retirement income. And then there's women. And I agree with you that I think UBI is hugely, and, and of course, many of Yang's other policies, but UBI is hugely beneficial to women because if they're in a domestic violence situation, they're more likely to be able to get away if they're not, no longer 100% dependent on their partner financially. Um, and, you know, if they want to, to have a kid or if they want to be a stay-at-home mom. Um, or even, open, well. or even like expand their business or like, you know, yeah. fulfill their dreams of becoming an entrepreneur or contributing in those ways. It's not just caregiving. And those are obviously very important work important things to do in society but um women you know we're a large demographic and within that demographic there's so much diversity and different you know layers and levels of social strata so to speak so even that kind of communication we have women at 
you know, different rungs who are doing different things. You know, there will be women who, whose jobs are, you know, in tech, high paid, and that might get automated away. What about those women? So it would, yeah, like, so all those groups that you've mentioned, I agree, they need to be targeted, but women cross all the groups, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, of course, they overlap. That's, that's kind of what I meant when I said you represent all of them. But yeah, so what, what specifically could Yang say to attract the votes of women in the Iowa caucus? What do you think? So UBI, um, you obviously have UBI and that um, I feel like he does, you know, lay across the messaging. Um, I think maybe expanding the messaging to, like I said, the entrepreneurs, the women who want to do or are involved in other ways apart from stay-at-home moms, caregiving, and just, you know, making that messaging broader with women in general and also it's not just about women it's also you know diversity and inclusion in general so as we know every vote counts and we have to kind of you know energize people who wouldn't normally vote or people who you know see themselves as minorities and the disabled you know female veterans veterans in general um you have different uh, different communities such as interfaith communities humanity first is a message which would really target or not even target would really resonate with them so whether it's you know a mosque or a synagogue or any of these different faith groups humanity first uh, is like a message which resonates with so many different you know religious and faith groups and if they are in places like iowa where it's you know predominantly white do they feel threatened? Do they feel like, okay, I need to take more action, you know, civically to make sure I'm protected. So it's in, I think it's in, you know, the campaign's interest and for, you know, people in those minority groups to take interest in the platform and understand why should I vote for him and vice versa. How can we message, you know, send messaging towards these people too? Your, uh, your point about faiths and intergroup interfaith messaging is interesting I hadn't really thought about it until now i'm kind of surprised i hadn't thought of it i mean interfaith huh. like yeah like you know so many people kind of feel like you know okay let me take for example the muslim community it's a marginalized community and frustratingly the conversation around muslims is limited to national security and i'm saying from the democrat side which I know across the community, they're kind of like Muslim Democrats are kind of feeling like, is this all that we kind of pertain to national security? Um, so that vote will be very important, not just, um, you know, in many cities where there are more Muslims living or certain, you know, backgrounds living, maybe not so much in Iowa, but it's still, it's a minority that needs to be considered. And then you even go, so like you said, interfaith, something which we don't normally think about Muslims, but even those who are disabled, do we actually consider what disabled people go through? When we go to a shop mm. to do shopping, you want to buy your groceries, you can pick whatever you need to your spices from the top shelf. A disabled person can't do that. Right. And they are limited in their resources and they're limited in, um, different ways which we don't even anticipate so what would these policies what would Yang's platform mean for them too so I think it would be strategic right. to expand on that messaging and that outreach to these types of people mm -hmm. um, and it's again mutually beneficial for the campaign and for voters to realize actually we need to take more interest we need to engage yeah. we need to vote and understand how these policies affect our day-to-day -day lives and d disability is it's very much the same argument as 
as welfare, right? Because you have a situation now where if somebody's disabled, they are prevented from earning money. But like lots of disabled people are capable of earning money, you know? <laughs> and and yep. so a UBI would say like, you know, you're, you're going to get this money and you can, if you want to start an Etsy on the internet or whatever you're going to do to earn some extra money, more power to you. We're not going to penalize you for success. Um, so that's, that's really good. I wanted to touch on the interfaith point that you made. Um, okay. And it sounds like you're saying you're, you're a Muslim. Is that right? I'm not, no. Uh, my family, uh, I was raised Hindu, but I have many friends um, from different religions, different backgrounds, Muslim included. Okay. So that's why I speak out on them as well. So um, the reason I asked is because I was wondering, I mean, Yang doesn't really talk about religion. And you know, now it occurs to me, we don't know what his religion is, do we? Does anybody know what his religion is? Is that going to be a liability for him in the general election? Because Amer a lot of Americans have, would have a hard time electing somebody who isn't Christian, never mind the fact that they elected Trump, who was obviously a deeply unchristian person. Uh, but he pretended to be Christian. So maybe, maybe to your point, Yang's humanity first message could be his way of avoiding that problem in the general election. What, what's your take on that? I think so okay on his religion I'm not sure I remember a long time ago there was a tweet about church or was there something he meant or maybe it was in his book I can't remember there was something to do with the church so I don't know if that you know denotes what his faith is but in terms of would it be a deterrent so Pete Buttigieg he's getting so much flack for speaking about faith and people like even conservatives and christians are saying we don't need him to tell us what our faith is hmm. i've definitely heard and seen that criticism so i think for yang to not even bring that up and make it a spotlight i think it's wise because we have firstly it can be divisive and we want to avoid any kind of excess outrage but hmm. secondly he's just focusing on the real issues and the real issues affect everyone regardless of your your skin color or your background or your language or your religion. Right. Yeah. It's like the humanity first thing really can, it, it, it provides the pathway to just transcend that completely. It's just like, no, no, no. Hey, these, we just looked, we looked at all the data and the entire planet to just do really good stuff for all humanity. Cool. I'm in. Sign me. That sounds great. Right. Um, I was actually just looking at some, uh, some, some data on, uh, on Iowa. Uh, there's uh 2.1 million registered voters in Iowa, which is a, a 60% increase over the last nine years. Um, but it's actually 67 or 68% of the population is actually registered to vote of the adult population, which is bonkers. Because uh, the, the coolest thing to do in but Iowa... Is that, is that, that's, not, that's not meaning they're going to participate in the Democratic primary caucus process. No, about, about half of those, about a, a little over half of those are, are, are Democrats. And that's the thing, like, sure. Iowa takes its, its uh, ridiculous position as firsty first. Uh, pretty, the, the whole thing is, like, I think the lowest hanging fruit for Yang is everybody who's not registered. Do you know, like, how many people actually caucused last, last time around? I could find out. Yeah, let's find out. <laughs> in, the meantime, in the meantime, I'll ask Adami. Yeah, yeah so I, um, I completely agree with you. I mean, Corey and I are, are both atheists for, you know, not that it matters. And I, I, think, that, I think that Yang's... Um, uh, Yang very well could pivot any question asked because in the general election he will be asked whether he's a Christian or what denomination he is and all of that stuff and it does unfortunately it matters to a lot of people so what your point I think 
what it says to me is that he has this humanity first thing he can pivot to where he can say, you know, like we live in a diverse country where there are lots of people with different belief systems. And I think it's important to speak to everybody and the humanity first message gets to the heart of like what all of the things of the world have in common. Is that, is that what you would want him to say? I would say, okay. So the reason why I mentioned the interfaith stuff is that again, interfaith meaning more than one faith in alliance and yeah, building bridges, humanity first. Mm -hmm. So they tend to be uh, well-connected advocacy groups. So kind of reaching out to them and doing something with them would, um, I think, be really unifying generally for people, you know, optically um, in terms of kind of like community work and as well as engaging voters to vote and just care about how they could be affected. Um, Right. So like in in terms of like in Iowa, you go to these, these interfaith groups and use that as a reach out point. Rather than going around to every individual church, you go to these interfaith groups and you say, you know, like I, you really kind of make a case for positioning yourself as the interfaith candidate. I like that. I, I think that suits him. Um, that's it's, an interesting idea. And we also, we kind of forget, so within certain minority communities and within the LGBT community, and we have different marginalized uh, subsects of the population, um, how do how do we also acknowledge them and also have a similar type of messaging, which is humanity first towards them. And then bringing it back to women, you have, you know, women who are in the LGBT community or for example, in certain religious minorities. And we know that, you know, sometimes there are issues or concerns within those minority groups as well. And how would these policies uplift those women who already are like a minority in a minority? They mm-hmm. may feel stifled in speaking up and already feeling isolated and, you know, having stigmas around their identity. And, you know, do they get discriminated against at work, let alone, you know, yeah. in other places or in their own personal situations? So even just emphasizing that and targeting speaking engaging with women which is what our podcast is aiming to do with women in these marginalized communities too because again those the people who get affected on the day-to-day kind of atrocities of life i suppose or just the difficult things they are energized to vote because they realize we we need to change something or we're done with this or in the you know there's so many emotional factors that come into it so whilst minorities are seen as minorities they cannot be overlooked. I, I like the point that you made about feeling marginalized at work too, because that's another good angle for, for Yang to use for the UBI with everybody, but also particularly with, with women and other minorities. Who, and in the case of Iowa, women being a, <laughs> being the, the one to go for. But yeah, I, I think that if a woman feels marginalized at work and she knows that she has this passive income she can rely on, it gives her more ability to uh, negotiate with, with her job and say like, look, you need to start treating me better. Or I'm going to leave. And it, and it won't be a bluff because she has that cushion to fall back on. Yep. That, and that is very much, it's both long-term and immediate term, but when you look at the other policies and I know I keep coming back to mental health, but it's so important and it really uplifts. It's like a blanket, you know, just like uplifting everything. Yeah. So having the other policies in place. So knowing that there'll be mental health support or an emphasis on changing the culture and stigma around mental health, how will that affect people of all ages of all kind of whether you have disabilities or not veterans or not regardless of gender that that's really pivotal and then even human capitalism social capitalism that's a mindset that's a whole culture change like viewing 
the way you operate your society and your work and business and you know how what is our work-life balance that has so many kind of ripple effects into our day-to-day life too so i i personally i actually see ubi as like a it is short mid and long term but i see it as an immediate like an immediate term solution um for the things that people are going through right now but then the other policies really set the stage for a whole shift like a whole paradigm shift in the country yeah completely agreed so Corey, did you get that info uh so they actually don't (laughs) they they don't release uh uh, vote totals in iowa for the democratic party uh but they basically it's all about uh delegates and they got about uh uh, 700 delegates versus like seven 693 uh in uh, in 2016 between uh, uh, Clinton and Bernie. And, uh, but w- what I found really, really interesting, I was looking at the, the polling leading up to it, and Bernie Sanders beat the polling by anywhere from, uh, from 6 to 10% hmm. on, on, the actual, on the actual day. Because it really is like this weird kind of uh, debate style uh, uh, thing where you're fighting on the day. Um, and I mean, this is where like Biden should stop trying because Biden's not good at this. Oh, uh, no, but at the same time, like well it will be, it yeah. will be a policy and electability fight on the ground between human beings, um, mm-hmm. and uh, I think, and and it's a it's a passion thing too, right? The number of people that you have there, uh, the number of people that you have in each uh, each county that uh, that are well versed in in your policy, like that. That's a fight that we can sneak, uh, sneak up from behind and win. I think. So Sanders and Yang might both outperform the polls in caucus states like Iowa. I don't think that Bernie will outperform the the polls now. Oh, interesting. Why? Because because his his base is baked in, right? Like that in in twenty twenty fifteen, nobody knew him whatsoever, right? So like that the, the number of registered voters is is changing in uh, in Iowa. He's you know obviously attracting information that way. Uh, they're only talking to people that had uh, that had uh, uh, voted previously. That's kind of the way that polling works, okay. right? There, they, they've got their metrics to figure out what likely right. voters so the- are. The polling, the polling process is better at picking him up now because he's a more mainstream candidate. Now. That's right. That's right. So that would be great. So yeah, hundred percent will outperform. Buddha Judge might outperform the polls too. Um, it, except that I think he's working the establishment side of the Democratic Party, which are all likely registered voters as far as polls are concerned. Anyway, but we'll see. It's possible, but I, I would definitely give Yang an outsized potential chance before I would give Buttigieg because he's 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 insider cake. Well, he certainly has active and enthusiastic supporters. <laughs> yeah, I think so- um, <laughs> in terms of Iowa, if I remember correctly, in two thousand eight and even the last midterm election, twenty sixteen as well. Um, it was like 57% of women who came out to vote for the, so I, whoever the candidate is that wins, they have to like the female vote is so important. It's, it's going to be critical. Yeah. Yep. It's over half. So and that's, that's the swing. Donald Trump. So that we've got that going for us, which is nice. And how many women <laughs> voted for Donald Trump too? They had a very strong women for Trump movement. They really they did. Highly energized. So we like, I can't overstate how much women are important in voting. And yes. in this, and this, and this election cycle, it's like even more, you know, hyper energized, hyper important on so many different levels. Another reason that I think um, states like Texas and Florida might be in play, um, especially with Yang, but actually with any Democratic candidate running against Trump, is what you is exactly what you just said. Yes, uh, Trump still has strong support among white working class women, but every other group of women 
despises the man. <laughs> and, and, and so like, that's part of the reason that the Democrats um, took, took the house um, in 2018 is because women in the suburbs, professional women, you know, um, they really were very turned off by Trump's extremely disgusting, unpresidential, frankly, sexist behavior every day on television. Um, so I can see, I can see women in, in the suburbs of Florida and Texas swinging the election for the Democrats, especially if the Democrats have a candidate who has some appeal to conservative thinking people. Definitely. And Florida is really interesting. I've spent some time there and as we know, they have a huge issue with climate change and so many environmental concerns. And what I really enjoy about Yang's climate plan and many of her sustainable policies is that it alludes to what we call a circular economy, whereby the what we have right now is a linear economy from extraction of the raw material right until selling the item and then the consumer ends up disposing it. And apparently, according to some stats, the average American disposes of what they buy after six months. So if every if the average global citizen was to consume in the way the average American does, we would need around four to five planet Earths. So in Florida, so again, okay, before I go to Florida, that just kind of sets the stage for where we are in terms of our plastic consumption and consumption in general and consumerism in this country and Yang's uh, sustainable policies. But when you go to Florida and you have this kind of like all these different issues going on, I was in Miami for a while and there were some amazing female-led advocacy groups who are doing a lot of work to impact legislation, policy and you know, local communities. And what I saw firsthand there is how climate change disproportionately affects women, people of color. And there's, there are amazing women there who are trying to shift that. There's an institute called the Clio Institute. I would highly recommend following them on social media. They give a lot of amazing information. And if anyone's in Florida right now, check them out and collab with them somehow too. But um, Is it yeah. clear? Pardon? Clio Institute. So C-L-E-O. C-L-E-O. Because I'm actually moving to Miami. So that is really, really good to know. Oh, you, yeah. They are amazing, an amazing group of women. And there's a whole network of different organizations who are doing a lot of work. But when I was there and I was thinking, oh my gosh, UBI would uplift so many people here. Um, not only because there's this huge like gap between, you know, the rich, the elite and, um, you know, the working class and, you know, the, the poor people too. There's not really a strong working class or middle class so to speak as in other cities there it's kind mm -hmm. of like really kind of hyper polarized there for different reasons uh, with tourism and you know just mm -hmm. how it's like a haven for loads of wealthy people too but um yeah florida is a very good example of having really pioneering you know policies for climate change and understanding how it, yeah. it would disproportionately affect so many different people and also it will cost the, the cost, it's hundred, like a hundred billion in dollars that it will cost. There's actually stats for this. And so first you have Florida, then you have Texas and then California. Those three states are really at risk and are going to lose so much economically to. Yeah. It, it, between, change. between 10 and 50 times more than it would cost if we just dealt with it completely now. <laughs> Maybe that's part of the reason the flyover states don't care about climate change. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll give you, I'll give you an example of how it like disproportionately affects marginalized groups too. For, so for example, in Miami, you have an area called Little Haiti 
um, where the Haitian community have been living and thriving there for a while. And now what's happening is that whole region is being gentrified. So developers and companies are coming in, gentrifying the place and specifically pushing out this community because that specific area of land is slightly higher than mm. Miami Beach. Right. So now many of these people, they can't afford lawyers. And these developers and these other kind of people who are coming into that area to push them out know that. So then they threaten them saying, we're going to threaten you with legal action oh, or geez. you just move out. So right. now these people are moving out. And when hurricanes happen, so many of the wealthy can just fly out to another home, to another city yep. mm -hmm. and just, you know, ride it out. Whereas the people and the families who are in Miami who do not have that luxury to move anywhere else, they just have to sit through. And then and Yang has the best climate policy by far as well. We, we actually had a four or something like a four and a half hour long two-part epic where we went over Yang's entire climate platform in detail. Um, Amani, thank you so much for coming on. I wish we could keep you on for longer, but we have another interview we need to get to. Is there no, anything you want to say to our listeners before uh, we sign out? Please check out our Yin for Yang podcast. That's our plug. But um, and I when we when we talk about diversity and inclusion and women, it's not to alienate anyone or to say this subgroup is more important than the other is, and it's just to give a voice to so many people. And the diversity and inclusion conversation goes so much more beyond skin color, race, religion, language. It really is about diversifying the way we think, our perspectives, how do we include everyone. Diversity and inclusion are two different words and they mean different things. And inclusivity, yeah. I've noticed that many campaigns have diversity, but do they have inclusivity? And they don't always have that. So I think our campaign really has an incredible foundation and platform to basically capitalize on both and ring that home. So that's that's what I would say. Yeah, thank, well, th thank you for what you're doing because as Corey pointed out, there is a problem where Yang is perceived as basically just being the candidate of young white men, right? And that it, you can't win a democratic primary only getting the votes of young white men. So thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for reaching out to people uh, who haven't heard about Yang yet and for just making, making it clear to the people who have that misperception of Yang's campaign that no, actually there are, there are lots of ladies who, who, who like Andrew Yang. Thank you very and, much. And the media will continue to kind of play on these optics and that's fine. But as long as we're doing the work on the ground, we know that we're engaging and those people are the ones who are going to turn out and vote. Yeah. So even if people feel disheartened by the optics within the media, just put it to the side and just get on the ground and do the work. Re different PR agencies, media groups, um, your interfaith groups, anything, you know, disabled organizations, just reach out to them, engage them, and that will make a difference instead of getting hung up about what's happening in the media. Yeah, my, one of my biggest uh, takeaways in NAMI is your description of what's going on on the ground in Texas, because that, I mean, that's monumentally huge. Uh, you know, if we can get that same, uh, that same feel in, in, in the highly contested on the ground race in, in Iowa, New Hampshire, or South Carolina, um, it will be a massive, massive deal. So a lot uh, of work to do, but um, huge, yeah, huge amount of work. Starting it, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's the thing, even, even if he's in the top three or top four and then suddenly like freakishly wins Texas, it's like, what is even happening now? It could, <laughs> it could be, it could be a huge, huge difference. So thank you very, very much for everything thank that you. you guys and your team are doing. It's awesome. Uh, and uh, Yin Free Yang podcast, I'm going to be checking that out pretty soon. Uh, and uh, I look forward to uh, the next time we have you on.
Thank you. You too. All right. Yeah, Andrew Yang is our taco. Nailed it. Thank you very much for listening to the Moving Forward podcast. Uh, we are so excited to be bringing this to you, and we're so excited about the uh, the awesome community, the Yang Gang that's growing up around the candidacy uh, of Andrew Yang. Uh, if you could, please tag us on Twitter with the hashtag MovingForwardPod and uh, find and join the Moving Forward podcast uh, group on Facebook. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.